And welcome to AskTheContractors.com. Hey, folks, this is where we cut through it all and nail things down. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I am your host, Todd Bird, and I'm so pleased to have you here with me on this show. It's a new show, new year, a lot of exciting projects coming up around your home. I want to hear about them. Send me questions. Send me your your details of what you're doing on your home. Others want to hear about it. That's what this show is all about, keeping your home in prime condition. And in order to keep it in prime condition, you need help doing it. You need a new roof, siding, windows, need some sheetrock repair, new flooring. You name it, we talk about it on this show. In fact, later on this show, we're going to talk about the top trends in kitchens and bathrooms. Thinking about doing a kitchen or bathroom this year, you're going to want to hear this part of the show. It's coming up later in the show. Speaking of great shows, where are we broadcasting from today? Well, we're, we're broadcasting from Sacramento Commons. It's a downtown project right here in Sacramento. And I'd like to share with you, this project includes two high-rise residential buildings, two mid-rise residential buildings, and a mixed-use building on the block bordered by 5th, 7th, and, and P Streets. Now, if you've never been to Sacramento, it's, it is downtown. I mean, it's a stone's throw from the Capitol. It's a stone's throw from the new Golden One Center. I can walk two blocks and hit Golden One Center. Very, very well-located project. Now, what's in this project? This project's going to include 74,122 square feet of new neighborhood support and retail So a lot of good things are going to be going into this project. The square footage would be an additional 1,470 new residential units. That's 1,470 new homes, many of them in the 25-story towers planned in the project's southeast corner facing the intersection of P and 7th. The plaza would be at street level on this site. And I'm looking at it now. I've already posted pictures on my website. Check it out. This is a really exciting project for Sacramento and, quite frankly, a large, large program. To the north along 7th Street would be the existing Capitol Towers and a 50-unit residential building on the site of what is now apartments dating back to the 1960s. So those are going to be all updated, actually gone and then redeveloped. On the northeast corner of the development is the 20-story hotel condo project with as many as 220 units. So think about this. You have 1,470 new residential projects. You have 74,000 square feet of residential and new neighborhood projects and another 2200 units on the other side of this project and a hotel as an option the total size of the project 11.17 acres which is huge the first phase covers 3.8 acres of the development site now what's interesting about this now i'm not sure if this is going to include affordable housing. And I'm going to look a little deeper into this project. And it might be a good question that we do a follow-up with Senator Scott Weiner on, here we have this project, very high end, but how much of it is going to be dedicated to affordable housing? That's the problem, folks, with affordable housing. Not in my backyard attitude. So we're going to check this out, dig a little deeper, and make sure that a project this size does have an area for affordable housing. There are people that can't afford a home that want to live downtown, that do have jobs. Just because it's called affordable housing doesn't mean you don't work for a living. It means you probably work really, really hard. But to make the money to get into the housing market in today's environment is very, very difficult. So we need to talk a lot about that and keep the conversation going. And just a reminder of what SB50, it's affordable housing where in cities, 
Cities will actually be penalized if they don't take a portion of their city and turn it into affordable housing. And, of course, affordable housing is such a gray area. What's affordable in Santa Barbara might not be what's affordable in Red Bluff, California. So we have to we have to dissect that and figure it out. When you hear SB 50 on the news, they don't go too far into the weeds. They, meaning the people trying to explain it, they don't go too deep into the weeds of what that is. So I want you to become familiar with it because it affects all of us, folks. SB 50 affordable housing, maybe not SB 50. I'm not so sure I agree with Senator Weiner on how that's going to help us or hurt us. I, I'm not quite sure in a state that's overtaxed and, and very hard to find affordable housing uh, in areas even as Sacramento. Sacramento used to be a very affordable place to live, to buy a home, and I'll tell you, it's starting to close in on us, and that's not good. We want to make sure that we have places to live for all levels of our economic balance here in California and keep it balanced. That's what's fair and makes our state a great state, uh, so let's keep it moving in that direction. Do you have some ideas on affordable housing? Send them to me. Because, again, in the future, we're going to be doing some shows that include affordable housing, SB 50, and the homeless issue here in California. It's something I want you to stay tuned to because that problem is not going away anytime soon. So stay with us, everyone. We have a wonderful show lined up for you. And as always, I like to dig into some local news and some news around the country even. Uh, We're going to expand a little bit this season. We're getting much bigger than just uh, talking about what's happened here locally. We want to talk about what's happening nationwide and in some cases what's happening around the world. I know that later on this year I'm going to be making another trip back to Ireland. We're going to be talking about the housing market in Ireland, for crying out loud, and how it impacts the U.S. dollar. Do you know the dollar? And the currency in Ireland is just about equal with each other. I went and checked out some houses last time I was there. And man, what you can buy for an American dollar is unbelievable. So we're going to talk about that probably later on in the year. But for now, we're going to get into some some news and let's dig in with a brand new year. And by the way, happy new year to everyone. I I hope uh, your new year is starting off just wonderful and that uh, this year is going to be very prosperous to you. I know with the interest rates being as low as they are and the housing market, market being where it is, it should be prosperous for all of us. So let's have a good year in mind. Mortgage rates remain stable to start 2020. That's great news. Does that mean an early start to spring home buying? Well, I hope so. In fact, before I dig too far into this, I just did a news report for KFBK uh, with Joe Michaels. And the news report was focused around the best three days of the year to sell a house. Do you know when those best three days are? It's the 26th, 27th, and 28th of December. Now, why is it the 26th, 27th, and 28th of December? People do not want to roll into the brand new year with their house still on the market. They would love to know it's going into escrow. So in order to do that, what do people do when they're selling their house? They reduce it. They reduce the amount by anywhere from 3 to 7% just so they can get it off the books and start the new year with their home in escrow and start looking in springtime for the new home that they want. Now... Do interest rates being so low mean a big jump start to home buying in the spring? Some economists are predicting a robust housing market this spring. The new decade has arrived with familiar interest rates for homes. The 30-year fixed rate mortgage ended 
last week of 2020 down slightly, Freddie Mac reported. Similar to a 15-year fixed rate fell also during the first part of the year. Conversely, the adjustable rate mortgage increased from where it ended in 2019. It's still really low. It's a great time to refi your home or buy a home. Overall, the stability is welcome news for the interest rate turbulence of the last year, which caused a slowdown in the housing market and other interest rate dependent sectors. So when it is all over the board like it was last year, sure, people are skeptical. I think this is going to be a much more stable year. It's an election year. I think the economy's doing good. Our unemployment rate is down to 3.5 or just below 3.5. Last month, 146,000 new homes were added to the workforce here in the United States. So this is good news. This is really good news. That means 97.5% of us are working. There are more jobs available right now in the workforce than workers. That has not happened in a long, long time. So if you're a doofus sitting on your duff on the couch watching uh, soap operas during the day, get off that couch and go get a job. It's a perfect time to do it. It sounds like I'm talking to my kids. But, hey, it's a great time to get a job. So uh, get out there and do it and take advantage of these interest rates. If you haven't bought a home or you need to refinance, it's a wonderful time to do it. Hey, National Association of Home Builders forecast gains in single-family starts. The numbers are in. Single-family starts rose by 2.5% in November 2019, up in three-month average and a post-recession high. That's up. That's amazing. That's incredible. And forecasts indicate small monthly gains in housing starts in the month ahead. Now, let me tell you why that's good. You don't want an overly aggressive start. You want things to gradually go up. Remember in 2006, it just burst after uh, 2004, 2005. Things went way too fast. And with that happening, the crunch came. So you want to see it go up little by little. The uptick is mostly attributed to lower mortgage interest rates. Looking at the numbers region by region, we see some big differences. Single-family starts are down 14% in the Northeast, down 6% in the West, down 5% in the Midwest, but up 5% in the South which was the only region with net gains in 2019. And guess what? It's what I've talked about it before on my show, land availability. And politics are the key factor to explaining these regional differences. Then I use the example here in, in California. Let's face it. Where you can buy inexpensive land is where people are going to go and want to build their home if you want affordable housing. In fact, in the show here, we're going to talk about SB50, affordable housing. Where can you go to buy an affordable house? Well, guess what? The number one place in California right now for millennials to move where there is the most gain in housing and in jobs is Bakersfield. Amazing. Because our millennials are waking up to the fact that, yes, they do want to buy a house. And, yes, they want to have a family. Bakersfield's becoming the number one spot in California for the millennials who want to accomplish those goals of having a family and home ownership. And speaking of SB 50, designed to pave the way for a passage of landmark housing bill, SB 50 State Senator Scott Weiner is seeking to 
raise height limits around transit lines, which means taller buildings, that more people can stay closer to public transit, allowing denser development in high-income areas and streamline permitting for multiple-family housing developments. That is great news. However, I'm a contractor. Right now, I'm pulling a permit in the Rancho Cordova area, the city of Sacramento, and the county of Sacramento. And hands down, i got to give kudos to Rancho Cordova. They have truly streamlined the process. And uh, i got to tell you, they deserve a huge, huge pat on the back. So anytime you have to pull a permit in those areas, say thank you to those people working behind the counter because they do a tremendous job. In an update version, 2020 version, Wiener added the amendments to exempt cities from the law if local government has its own plan with some restrictions. And the law is the SB 50, where you're going to get penalized if you don't abide by affordable housing. Well, a lot of these places don't have affordable housing. In fact, interviewing Scott Wiener uh, about a year ago, you know, here it's not always good for the goose, it's not always good for the gander. Wiener's area that he represents is what? San Francisco. Yeah, let's get some affordable housing in San Francisco, Mr. Scott Wiener, and then you could tell us what to do elsewhere. But meanwhile, let's focus on housing that people need, affordable housing. The main sticking point from the SB 50 in 2019 was the mandatory rezone of areas along transit corridors to taller buildings in many cities. This version allows for the same restrictions to the minimum height in more rural communities such as Davis and Carlsbad, California. So I don't know. I think we have a lot of figuring out to do here. You know, affordable housing is tough. Last year we had 126,000 homeless people in California. We're up to almost 160,000 right now. The problem is not getting any better. And now we're starting to put $74 million in the state budget, not including federal budgets, for the homeless. And we keep talking about it. We just keep talking about it. Nothing's being done. And in our show coming up in uh, in the future, we're going to be talking about a solution that I have that I'd like you to stay tuned to. It's an idea that I floated by Mr. Dale Steinberg, and it fell on deaf ears. So not this show. We don't have time for it in this show, but we will be talking about the homeless issue later on and how it's connected to affordable housing. So stay tuned for another show down the road. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Timber prices. Okay, the case for more mass timber construction. The possibilities offered by using engineered wood in the construction industry is enticing builders and dividing environmentalists. Well, there's no surprise there. Research at the University of Massachusetts is proving that engineered wood, now just for you know what engineered wood, it's glue lambs and micro lambs is mostly what it is. It's compressed wood that is layered with, with very, very strong glue, and it is a very, very strong way of constructing buildings. Engineered wood is 20 wood boards glued together in layers. Like I said, glue lamb, they layer it and glue each layer and can withstand 21,000 pounds of pressure before cracking. Now, that depends on the, the size of the board. You have 2 by 12, you have 4 by 12, you have 4 by 16. You have uh, the biggest glue lamb that I put in, I believe, was 6 by 
30, and it was for a building for an industry for wood. It was at a very large lumber company that we had to expand almost 40 feet, and it was a very, very large laminated beam that we used. These are referred to as cross-laminated timbers and mass timber. The material appeals to builders, appeals to me, city planners, architects, and environmentalists to a point. Builders see this as a way to build mid-rise structures faster and cheaper. City planners see a fast track that could help reduce housing shortage. That means less architectural involvement when you can use larger lumber that is a lot stronger. You're focused more on how it is adhered to the building, which is referred to as Simpson brackets most of the time, on how it's the fasten. Architects love it because of the weight. It's a lot lighter and the look can be very creative with its look and some environmentalists tout the ability to combat climate change you're using actually less wood out of our forests when you're using glue lamb type products okay and a funny little news story which could be very very serious uh, i call it funny because it's one of those dumb crook stories firefighters discover an illegal gas station in a home now i posted this uh, picture on my website you got to check it out this is one of the most dangerous things you can do folks do not hoard gas unfortunately in the way they've hoarded gas they these stupid dumb crooks is not a very bright thing to do officials in las vegas have discovered what they describe as an illegal homemade gas station in a backyard las vegas fire and rescue shared images online of the makeshift gas station discovered by firefighters this week. The photo showed two yellow tanks with a gas pump nozzle on the end of the hose. Officials say the hose from the yard was long enough to reach the street for possible curbside fill-up. Now, here's what they've been doing. Police say the station may be part of a trend involving gasoline purchased with stolen credit cards and then deposited into the home storage so they can resell the gas to who knows who. But what a ding-dong thing to do. I'm guesstimating that these two tubs, and again, you can go on my show and you can see the pictures yourself. It's got to be 500 gallons each. I'm guessing 500 gallons each. That's 1,000 gallons of gasoline. If there was a sudden spark, anything, anything to trigger, static electricity, any of that stuff flying through the air uh, with this metal cage around each one, you're talking about sudden death on whoever's within 100 feet or 100 yards of this probably in some cases. So do not do that. That's a, that's a dumb crook story. Uh, you know, tell me what you think of our news stories. Send me an email. I'd like you to tell me what you think of the show. Is this information beneficial to you? I know the gasoline station in someone's home probably is not too beneficial. But certainly if you see that happening, you want to make sure that no one gets, gets hurt if you see a ding-dong thing like that. Do you see a ding-dong crime story in the construction trades? I'd like to hear about it. I'd like to know what ding-dong things people are doing out there. They call them stupid crook stories, so I'd like to hear about it. My favorite part of the show, question of the week. Those of you who send me in a question, I like to talk about it. I like to share the question with everyone because, like I said before, it is something someone else is doing. Your question is going to inspire someone else to maybe do what they need to be done. Your home is not so unique. It is unique, but it's not so unique that it's, you know, the two by fours are different or the trusses are different. It's a home and you want to improve it. And sometimes people, when they have questions about their home, like Leslie coming up, Leslie's on the line. We're going to join him here in a second. We want to share that question. Now, this is a follow-up to a question we had on AskTheContractors.com. It came 
came in from Leslie, and I want to do a recap on this because it was a very interesting question. Uh, the question goes, I am looking to build a climbing wall in my garage, basically an 8-foot wide, 12-foot uh, uh, tall wall slanted at a 45 degree angle. I need to anchor the top part of the wall to something. I hope something is stable like the rafters. Is this a good idea? How much extra weight can I hang off the rafters? If not, uh, what can I do? Uh, what is a good way to do so? One thought he has is adding a two by six to the joining two by three rafter and then anchoring the top of the wall to the two by six which uh, sounds complicated, but it really isn't. But to help to explain this just a little further, I actually have Leslie on the line right now. Leslie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, wonderful to have you on. Now, Leslie, you also sent a picture in the follow-up on this, and I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Standard garage, standard, looks like 2 by 8 or 2 by 6 going across, which I remember answering this question and saying, Garages are probably one of the most overspanned parts of your house because people look at the rafters as just something to tie the trusses together, but not necessarily a big structural need in the garage where there's not going to be a lot of weight. But guess what happens? People throw a bunch of plywood up there and everything else that they could think of uh, putting up there. And pretty soon you can look at the house from the outside and you see a, a big bow in their, in their garage, which is not a healthy thing to do. So you asking this question is saving you a lot of problems down the road. Can you tell me what you've done thus far? Um, so far, I've just built up the, the framing of the wall itself, but I haven't proceeded to actually hanging it off of anything because that's, I think, the most dangerous or... Right. I'm most nervous about. So I kind of want to make sure I get the design of that correct. Well, and you use the term uh, sisters in this when you could take a board and slap it next next to another board to make it stronger. In other words, if the rafter that you have, and by the way, to my listeners, this is already posted on our website. If you have the rafter and going across from wall to wall, crossing your garage, and it's usually a two by six, but it could be a two by eight. Do you know what it is? It's a two by six. Okay, two by six. So if you were to put another two by six adjoining that, you're talking about a four by six piece of wood. That's pretty strong. If you were to take and sandwich that two by six with two two by eights on both sides, even better. And the cost of that is minimal. So you want to make sure that that is very, very stable because you stayed in here that that could bear as much as 500 pounds to this wall. Yeah, you, when you're doing your exercising and what have you. Unfortunately for my mother-in-law, she will not be able to use this. But for anyone else, it's going to be going to be normal. Okay, so 500 pounds of weight, uh, and you definitely want that to be strong. Now, another question that I want to ask you, Leslie, is how are you anchoring it to the walls on both sides, which is known as the bearing wall? Are you toenailing or are you using a metal clip, a Simpson bracket? Are you freeze blocking it? What what method do you plan on using? So I'm planning, the, I mean, I think most of the weight will be on the bottom plate of this, this wall that I'm erecting. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I was planning on uh, potentially screwing it into the concrete flooring of the garage. Wonderful. Using a roto hammer and going down with some anchor bolts and possibly putting some uh, uh, foundation. It's called foundation adhesive. It's actually two parts, very, very strong. Because you're right, when that's slanted at a 45-degree angle, the weight is going to be at the bottom of that 45-degree board that you're using. Right. And you don't want that to kick out from underneath you. Right, right. So what else can you tell me that you're doing on this? Is you turning this whole room into a weight room, an exercise workout place for yourself? 
it's a it's a climbing wall, so I'll still have holds on the bottom side of this uh, this hung wall that I can ascend and um, and uh, you know I, I'm so I'm not turning the entire garage into a, a workout room. It's just this area that I, I you know with the space constraints that's what I'm trying to set up. Um, and I'm trying to make it adjustable, so I'll actually put the wall on a a hinge at the bottom and then oh wonderful yeah yeah i'm trying to have like a a a winch or something on the wall mounted that's yet another question which is like well how many studs should i be connecting to make sure i don't pull the wall down when i you know adjust the angle of this wall well that's a great question take and put a four by four next to the two by four you want to anchor into make sure it's secured from all sides from the 2x4 going into the 4x4 and the top coming down into from your top plate into the 4x4. And then on your mud sill, you want to, I would use a metal clip for that. And now I would anchor, actually, yeah, anchor into the 4x4, not the 2x4. The 2x4, if you threw a bolt in, you only have an inch and three quarter between that bolt and your bolt's going right into the center. That's not a whole lot of meat on both sides. So definitely put a 4x4 in there or, or even a 4x6. Yeah, even a 4x6 where you have plenty of meat to go into, and are you going to lag it in, or are you going to just bolt it in as far as you can, can possibly go? Because I think either way would be sufficient. Uh, can you explain the difference between lagging and, and bolting? Well, if you lag it, you would use a carriage bolt, and you would have to go all the way through the 4x4 or 4x6 and go to the exterior of the wall and put a washer and nut and then have the other side of the bolt protrude into the wall where you're going to actually hinge the wall. I see. If you went on that 4 by say say a 4 by 4 so you have 4 inches between the wall and where you're going to hang this. If you went in 3 and a half inches, you would be sufficient. Right. You would absolutely be sufficient. So so great question. Leslie, do you have anything you want to add to this? Um, no, just to confirm, like, uh, so what your, your main recommendation is beefing up the, uh, the spanning rafter by adding, um, you know, maybe a, another two by six on each side or something. And that would, or just at least one more, and that would definitely make it quite a bit stronger, right? Right. And the weight, you have the weight adjusted. You say 500 pounds at the bottom, but on the average, you're looking at about roughly 350 pounds for the climber itself, for the torque that you're going to be stressing on that. Certainly the climber, uh, there's some dynamic motion, and when, you know, there's, when you're like maybe jumping for a hold, there's some instantaneous force that might be um, higher than that. So I, I'd rather be a little bit, I mean, I'd rather be overbuilt a little bit just to make sure. Oh, absolutely. When in doubt, overbuild is, yeah, overbuild is not a bad thing to do. So uh, what I'd like you to do, Leslie, if you would, because this has been a great question, and I love, I love our listeners out there to send us questions, and I want to encourage you to send questions, and as you did with a picture so I could post it on the website, make me a big promise, a pinky promise if you want. When you are completed with this project, can you please send us some pictures? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and include some pictures of yourself. We'll make you famous. This podcast is heard all over the world, all over the United States, and I really encourage people to do this because that's what we're here for. We're here to answer questions that can help the homeowner take care of their most valuable asset, and that is, well, I should say one of their most valuable assets, and that is that is your home. So thank you so much, Leslie. You've been a wonderful guest on the show. I know my listeners will be very curious on how this ended up, Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, all right. Thank you, Leslie. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks. When you have a question like this, when in doubt, send me a question. I want 
to help you out with your projects. It could be a kitchen remodel. It could be a bathroom remodel. It could be uh, hanging gutters or your roof repair or shutters or sheetrock or electrical or plumbing. And here's the good part. When you go on my website, askthecontractors.com, and even though I've been a contractor well over 30 years in the greater Sacramento area, I want to touch you all around the United States and around the world. All of you, I sound like some hick here, but all of you have a project around your home at one point in your life. Send me pictures and please send me the description of the project and your phone number. I'm going to call you. I'm going to put you on the line. I want to know about your project. You're not the only one up against the same dilemma or problem or trying to figure something out in your house. Your house is no less unique than your neighbors. And when you're when you're asking these questions, someone else is going to benefit. And if I don't know the answer, even though I've been around a long time, I learn new things every day in this business being a contractor. If I do not know the answer, the benefit of my contacts on askthecontractor.com is I'm going to reach out to somebody who does know the answer. That's the beauty of this show. So again, send me your questions. I want to have them on the show. Uh, askthecontractors.com. And like I said, if you're brave enough, I'll bring you on the show and I'll make you famous with your questions. So great questions. I'm Todd Bird. Thanks for listening, everyone. Now, Two places in your home that I get a lot of questions, and I actually do a lot of jobs. I am an active contractor. I've been an active contractor here in Northern California for over 30 years, and I primarily do room additions. I do bathrooms, and I do kitchens. And what are the new trends here for 2020? Well, guess what they are? Kitchens and bathrooms. Trends for 2020. So check this out. Homeowners are planning to be active remodelers this year. There's no doubt about it. And I'll tell you what, one of the reasons for that is interest rates, again, are down. It's a great time to refinance your house, pull 50 out or 100 out or whatever you need for your new bathrooms and kitchens, and you want to get your home refinanced and uh, get this project done. Nearly two and five homeowners Two in five homeowners are planning to do some kind of renovation project this year. As popular as remodeling is, these homeowners will prioritize kitchens and bathroom renovations above all other rooms. And let's fix it, folks. When you go to sell your home or to buy a home, what is the number one thing you look at? You look at the kitchen and the bathrooms. You look at both those rooms because you have to make a decision when you go to buy that home. Do I love the remodeling that they did or what do we have to do to remodel and what is it going to cost? And you factor that into buying a home. So what's the most popular renovation item on the list? Let's take a look. Starting with the bathroom. According to the survey by HGTV and our own observations, floating vanities. Now, what is a floating vanity? A floating vanity is a bathroom cabinet that is anchored to the wall. It does not extend all the way to the floor. Why are those becoming really popular? It seems like there's more room in smaller bathrooms. It's a blessing to have the appearance sometimes as more square footage, so you just feel more open in that area. And believe me, folks, it's a lot easier to clean underneath that sink when it is all open. A lot of times, people in a secondary choice, they pick freestanding, what they call pedestal sinks. And those are really pretty cool, too. Now, what color is in this year? Sherman Williams always comes out with the color of the year. This year for 2020, haha. Pick this, blue hues. Now, I have not seen the color. I'm sure it's really cool. But uh, if you want to go online and look up blue hues, that is the color of the year. Another trend, European-style 
wet rooms described as a big open room with a drain in the middle. Now, when I was raising my four kids, this is one thing I wish I had because I'd stand them in there, hose them down, and let all the water go down the middle drain and clean the walls off because they would come in from the back 40 completely messy and dirty and home from football practice and soccer practice and whatever practice you could think of, and they come home and you literally... I swear you want to hose them down before they come in the house. Now, if you had a bathroom like this, it would be a lot better fit. Think about it this way. Not only great for kids you want to hose off, but pets. How about pets in that room where you can have the open shower? That means no curbs and less walls. You can have Fido come in there and bring down that handheld shower, and uh, Fido can get wet. And then what do they do after they get wet? Yeah, you get wet, too, because they're shaking themselves off. So I think that's an actually a great idea. And how about aging in place? Aging in place, we talk a lot on this show. The older we get, the more comfortable we want to be, and the less obstructions in the bathroom. The number one place you fall elderly people fall is the bathroom so you want to make sure that that bathroom is secure and right for you as you age in place Uh, what's the statistic i use i probably overuse it but it's um, 10,000 people a day in america are turning 65 and older so we are those uh we me i'm getting there i'm turning 60 this year so a couple years i'll be in that bracket and i want to stay in my home as long as possible so open style european style wet rooms probably the way to go large tile the bigger the better to tie your bathroom together yes i agree with that large tile easy to lay easy to maintain less grout lines and it looks good and if you're in the bathroom you want to remember there's two types of grout lines there's the spreaded joint and don't get excited if you're a marijuana smoker. Spread a joint doesn't mean there's a joint on the floor. It just means a wider joint. And then you also have the sanded uh, joints where it's very close together, very tight fitting, which is what I prefer, less cleaning. Uh, overall, the look larger, easy to clean, and simple designs. Now, what about the kitchen? Do the same type of trends? Are they the same popular trends happening in kitchens? Well, prep space is one of the things that's very important in a kitchen. Uh, and here's some other ones that we can look into. Semi-open rooms. Sometimes we just want to get away. Archways and sliding room dividers are dominating many designs. I know in my home, I took down all the walls. My kitchen is a 900-square-foot kitchen. I don't want anything in the way. And I recently had a, uh, a fundraiser at my home. 34 people comfortably were standing in my kitchen. 34 people interlocking with one another and talking and moving around very comfortably in my kitchen. So it's good to have that open look. I would give up another room in my house just to have more room in the kitchen, which I basically did. Uh, Brushed metallic accents, brushed knobs and steel hardware are being added to complete the warm touch of wood and plank flooring. That's a great combination. Wood and plank flooring is very natural. In fact, uh, in a show coming up, we have another great show coming up down the road. We're going to be talking about hardwood flooring and the do's and don'ts and the things to look out for when you do your hardwood flooring. Some things you definitely have to look for and be careful with. Invisible appliances. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to disappear. It means they're there. You just can't visually always see where they're at, and you have to look a little harder. I know in my kitchen, as an example, my Sub-Zero has actual cabinet panels on it. So when you do a 360 in my kitchen, it's hard to tell where the refrigerator is. Experts say it's about visual flow. 
They are creating zones in the kitchen by putting panel overlays on their dishwashers and sometimes moving the refrigerator out altogether. Now, I want to talk about this a minute. The refrigerator, something that is also becoming really, really popular is the drawer refrigerators. Our life is on the go. You know, years ago when I was uh, a, a little boy and I had five brothers and sisters and we would come home and mom would have a meal put out and we'd have three of our friends there and there was just food all over the place. Well, a lot of times people are just so busy in today's world, they don't do a lot of cooking at home. You should, by the way, but they don't. And I'm guilty of that sometimes. I raised four kids were always on the go. And uh, and so did we have a lot in our refrigerator? Not always. And even now so that the kids are gone, I even have less in my refrigerator. Now, when I design a kitchen, a lot of times people are in the same circumstances. What do we do? We look at the drawer refrigerators where they have the ice maker, the freezer, but they don't have a big refrigeration spot for food that you're going to store. They more or less live day to day. Uh, so sometimes to uh, to have a drawer refrigerator and think about it, not having a huge refrigerator in your kitchen, that can save up to nine to 12 square feet that you have more open space. How about textured tiles? What better way to personalize your new kitchen than with embossed and mosaic tiles? And that means you can buy tiles that fit your desire, that fit your character. The uh, pattern um, palette is all yours. You can go Spanish. You can go continental. You can go, again, referring to my kitchen. It is more of a French country look. I have the uh, rooster over the uh, rooster in mosaic uh, tiles over my stove. It looks really awesome. Uh, It's all about your taste. You decide. It's your home. You live with what you love. So here are some bonus trends. People are willing to be very, very bold. Black is replacing white on white in the kitchen and bath. And to give you an example, we did a wonderful kitchen. Uh, We'll call it the Matthew Kitchen. On the countertops, we went with, for the first time, I didn't agree with it at first, but after it was done, it was gorgeous. And that was leather black granite. Awesome. Looks super duper, and I love it. So black on white does look really good, and I think that's a trend that's going to last for a long time. What are some of the trends that you're thinking about doing in your bathroom and kitchen? Send me your comments. I would love to hear what's going on in your kitchen and bathroom. Let me know how your project's going and what trends you think are going to be trendy in uh, in this year, 2020 and beyond. Do you have some trends going on in your kitchen, your bath, some thoughts that you have? Send them to me. We are on Facebook. AskTheContractors.com, our podcast. You can catch us on Instagram. Check us out and tell us what you think about our show. You can hear us all over the world, all over the country. Send us your comments. We want to know what's going on in your area of the United States, your area of the world. So we want to hear from you. And check out us, Toddco Builders. That's my company. I specialize in kitchen and bathrooms. I would love to talk to you about your project. You can catch all my information on my website, askthecontractors.com, and so many others who help me on that webpage to make my life successful. As a successful contractor, these are the people I rely on. Go to askthecontractors.com. Give me your thoughts. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Todd Bird. Catch you next time. Have a great day. When all of the industry is the same, how do you cut through? It's all about customer service. It's knowing everyone is unique. 
and it's tailoring our contractors' bonded insurance rates around you. With general liability, workers' comp, commercial auto, and licensing contract bonds for every need. That's why we research the best carriers to get you the best rates from our best partners. We're Contractors Brokerage Service at 855-585-BOND or request a quote today at cbsbond.com. It's all about customer service with custom quotes and the best rates possible. 855-585-BOND or cbsbond.com. Remodeling is a once-in-a-lifetime adventure because you're going to love your new kitchen or bath. With DR Design and Remodel, it all starts in our showroom. Select from flooring, tile, fixtures, countertops, cabinets, and more. Then see your design using 3D renderings as your project comes together. The DR Design and Remodel team will help you get the right look so you'll know you've made the right choice for years to come. Stop by the DR Design and Remodel showroom right off Highway 99 and Grant Line Road in Elk Grove or visit ftcelkgrove.com to learn more about DR Design and Remodel. 